todo lo que quieras, pero dime qué es lo que quieres que diga. Pues a los que entienden solo el español, que el pueblo asirio es un pueblo vivo, es un pueblo rico de historia, es un pueblo generoso, que ha dado mucho a la historia y es un pueblo que puede sorprender por su riqueza cultural, histórica y lingüística. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Assyrian Podcast. This is Steve and I just landed from Phoenix, Arizona where I attended the National Assyrian Convention and it was an absolute blast. My favorite part was meeting so many of you who listen to the podcast from all over the world. A huge shout out to Asher Sergis who listens while working graveyard in Modesto. And so many of you in Germany and Sweden. Also, Odessa and I were on a panel with Stephanie Youssef of the Assyrian Star Magazine and Joe Snell of the Assyrian Journal. So many good questions came our way, and they really help us as we continue to form and shape the Assyrian podcast. I had several moments this weekend where I was taken back by the value this podcast brings to our community and the stories so many of you shared at the convention. Also, we hope you enjoyed the Assyrian Podcast sunglasses and the Assyrian Podcast cups that we gave away. The sunglasses lasted all but two minutes at the convention pool area, so that was awesome. Now, if you heard the episode intro, you might be thinking, what happened to the Assyrian Podcast? Rest assured, this episode is an Assyrian man named Dr. Ephraim Yildiz, who is the Vice Chancellor and Professor at the prestigious University of Salamanca in Spain. Dr. Yildiz has been teaching Assyrian language, literature, and history since 1994, and I had the privilege of interviewing him several months ago at the Assyrian National Policy Conference, and now I get to bring it here to the podcast. This guy is another one of those Assyrian giants that many Assyrians simply don't know about, and we are so proud to be able to bring his work to you here on the podcast. Now, before I air the episode, I want to ask you and encourage you to show your love by subscribing to the podcast, like us on social media, and tell more and more of your friends and families about our worldwide Assyrian podcast community. And now, here is Dr. Ephraim Yildiz. Where are you from? How did you get into this field? Well, I'm from northern Assyria, which is between southeastern Turkey and northern Iraq. And the village I come from is Harbole. Probably most part of the Assyrian community do not know where Harbole is located. It's in southeastern Turkey, it's on the border between Iraq, northern Iraq and southeastern Turkey. And then, well, I moved from there to Germany, finished the school in Germany, and then from Germany I got a scholarship to Italy. I finished this, my university studies at the University of uh, Italy. Meanwhile, I had been in France. Then I had a bit of formation, even uh, as I had been doing biblical studies, I have in Israel. And Wait, you did I, biblical studies in Israel? No, uh, in Italy. In Italy? Yeah. And in order to strengthen the modern Hebrew, I spent some months also in Israel. And then I moved to, to Spain. And since 1994, I'm living in Spain. And I'm teaching uh, our language, lit, uh, literary, and history at the University of Salamanca. From 
northern Assyria to Spain, the University of Salamanca, and, and from 1994. So that means all these years you've been based in Spain. Yes. And what exactly are you teaching about Assyrians in Spain that people would be interested in? Well, when I moved from Italy to Spain, I, I tried to look for um, a city where there were there was or there could be a, a university with Semitic tradition. What do you and mean by Semitic tradition? Semitic tradition, which means uh, where Hebrew, Aramaic, Assyrian uh, language and so on are taught. When I came to, to the university, there were only a course which was Biblical uh, Aramaic. And I started building up and now we have a whole specialization about the language, literary texts, and even complementary courses like Assyrian patrimony or traditions and Aramaic-speaking cultures and so on. So is this modern Assyrian or ancient Assyrian? We teach uh, modern, let's say, uh, Assyrian Aramaic, ancient, late, and modern one. We have three years of language. I see. And so the ancient is going to be important because they're looking at archaeological digs and the ancient work, and they're trying to understand what that society... Well, we do not deal directly with the archaeological things, but yes, uh, the ancient sources, yes. For example, the first texts we have or we use as exercises for our students are, they date back to the 11th century BC. And from then onward, but the... the the biggest part which we use for the students is from the 3rd until the 14th century for the later Aramaic. And then from then onward until now, it's uh, the modern one. So we teach a whole year modern Assyrian Aramaic. So university students in Spain are learning about modern Aramaic language. Absolutely. And what value is that in there for them? It's, it's like a jewel because uh, they are discovering many aspects that nobody has spoken before. And they are discovering people like Assyrian people, for who for them they were just a died people. I see. So they're surprised that we're still Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that sense, it's... it's but the, my, my main uh, purpose was to create a center where Assyrian young generation could have the chance to study their own patrimony, linguistic, literary, and historical one. That was the main reason why I already started many years ago building the whole, um, let's say, study plans. Because it's, it's a degree. And now, last year, we have had uh, the first uh, PhD upon the status of the School of Nisibis, which have been analyzed by one of my students. And the School of Nisibis, yeah. for our audience that doesn't necessarily familiar, probably it's the first university. Uh, We're talking 330, 350, I don't know the no, dates. The foundation more or less goes uh, back to the 5th century, probably to the 489 round, that yeah. period, when Marnor Say left uh, Urhai, Edessa, and he uh, just really transferred the knowledge and the method of teaching from, from Urhai, from Edessa to, to Nisibis. Just a quick shout out, one of our hosts is named Edessa, so we appreciate that historical vantage point. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. 
So this is the first time where a PhD student in or, Spain. Uh, in Spain. Yeah. But because I don't know of anybody else that's gone deep into the school of NISPIS to the point of... No, no, they are, they are works done by other foreign PhD uh, students and also authors. It's a well-known uh, university, but not among the Assyrian people. And Salamanca in, is? Salamanca is, uh, for instance, the leader in that sense for the Spanish universities. Interesting. It's so fascinating. And going back to the PhD who, who got his PhD in the school of Nisbis. So tell us, like, what did they find? Well, the, uh, as uh, the PhD was done in a faculty which deals with the language, linguistic and history, we emphasized the study on the technical words that were used as uh, references for this, for a structure, how rabbeita or madabrana or peshkana, what what uh, the words mean for that period, and how they were kept until the Middle Age. And secondly, uh, the main topics that were you know mentioned or announced in that uh, speech of the foundation, because uh, the statues are related to a kind of of speech of Barah uh, Dabshab Arbaya, who makes the inauguration speech when the school started uh, the first semester. The idea, for example, the idea of, of uh, summer and winter semester comes from the school of Nisibi. And it was in introduced uh, in Europe through Bologna University. Which university? Bologna. Oh. Mm. You know, in Europe or in Western world, there are four ancient universities. Bologna, Oxford, Paris, and Salamanca. I had no idea about this underground of how the universities work and their history. Mm. But this is, this is uh, the historical reality. Indeed, now we are celebrating our 800 years of history uh, this year. So the University of Salamanca has been around for 800 years? No, no, for, uh, for, for not around 800 years we are now this year. It was founded in 1218. So, and we have a big uh, Semitic tradition at the University of Salamanca, but it's not so well known, especially among the Assyrian community because it's located in Spain and no, not uh, many people know about that and when did you like how did you make the transition from becoming a teacher there well it's it's a state university you have to to submit yourself to different exams competitions uh, because when i finish my studies i just try to enter by my own and gradually uh, you know there's a process of First, you are you become a and kind of. And you wanted person. to teach there. You felt like that was a highly awesome place for you to be. That, that's why I I, I I made the choice to to stay in Salamanca because I saw that was a potential place where I could develop what I was dreaming for. And you have now. Well, hopefully, uh, I hope that I achieved it. Yet, yeah, my goal was to to create a kind of center for our community, thinking upon the new generation, if they want to learn about their language, 
their history, their literature, their patrimony, historical, uh, cultural patrimony, they should have uh, somewhere where to cultivate it yeah. and where, where to learn it. And that was the main reason. So if you're an Assyrian and you're in college and you can do a study abroad program, they should come to see you. I hope so. The main idea was was uh, thought in this way. And I announced it a long time ago, once I finished the whole basis, because I did all this process in a silent way in order to, to create a basis which should be solid. And once the basis is done, now we can talk about, about such initiative. And this initiative is, is a golden occasion for our people. That's so exciting. I mean, that I didn't know about this program. You're right, a lot of Assyrians simply don't even know that there's a yeah. Assyrian professor at the University of Salamanca teaching modern Assyrian studies, modern Assyrian language, as well as ancient Assyrian. Yeah. And one of your dreams is to see young Assyrians be, who are in college to come out there and to get a deep dive. In reality, this is the main goal. Uh, and I hope that uh, probably in in the future, in the coming future, that some Assyrian young ladies and also uh, boys, let's say, uh, will have uh, the chance to, to get deep in their own heritage. And this is the only way and one of the best ways. And that's why we should have a basis where, where to cultivate them, where to study them, where to learn them, and where to, we have to transmit them. Mm -hmm. And so you're all very developed curriculum. Absolutely, yeah. Can you tell us what one of your favorite lessons is to teach? When I try to tell them how many cultures are Aramaic-speaking people, because there's a big confusion for some less. This is one of the best of them. When I talk about typical Assyrian traditions, because we have also optional courses, not only uh, uh, oblig obligatory courses, and, but especially when I get through the huge amount of uh, literary production from the 3rd until the 13th, uh, 14th century, where you can have a huge opportunity to learn about your own trees or your, about your own patrimony, where you can learn a when lot. When you say the word patrimony, what, is, what do you mean by that? It means... Uh, like ancestral roots? This one, one of the points, uh, but also uh, patrimony, you can, it, it includes many aspects, linguistic, I see. historical, liturgical, why not, uh, cultural and uh, aspects. And this makes the whole patrimony of, of, of our people. So going back to the school of Nisbis, that school and, and at th those times they were influencing the church a lot. I mean uh, you should know that when the schools uh, were founded usually they were founded in monasteries at the beginning mm -hmm. but then there were centers like Edessa or Nisibis or even Slechtispon which were sponsored by the royal court and Nisibis was it belonged to the church, but at the same time, it was sponsored by the uh, Persian, let's say, yeah. uh, royal court. So yeah. there was a relationship there, and somehow they made it work. 
I mean, it was not only a kind of, of school where, where theology, uh, history and so on were taught, but uh, also there were other uh, issues or subjects like uh, translation. Uh, so they, they were translating Greek or Hebrew or... No, from Greek into Assyrian Aramaic. What were they translating? Uh, for example, all the Greek philosophy. Aristotelism came to the Arabs thanks to our people where, who translated from Greek into Aramaic and from Aramaic into Arabic. Okay, we got to hear that again. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is that it was the Assyrian people who translated the Greek into Aramaic and then into Arabic yes. for the Islamic world to of be course. able to... Yeah. Today it's, it's, even, it's improved. It's not just a, a kind of, of a possible a possibility. We know even the names of the authors who translated the texts. Okay. So we uh, many stuff have uh, has been published upon this uh, this topics. Now this brings up a question for me that I like to ask people who are on the Assyrian podcast, and especially if it's an intellectual and educator, there are questions out there about Assyrian continuity, and it's fair to even mention this because there's books written on the topic. So when you say things like, "Well, back in the fourth or fifth century, Assyrian people were translating from." Greek into Aramaic and then into Arabic, mm. would those people have identified as Assyrian or not? And if they didn't, does that matter? Well, you know, since we, uh, since the Assyrian community uh, was converted into Christianity, there were two, two important issues that were mingled. First, the two powers, let's say, uh, spiritual and material power was fused in a figure of, let's say, of patriarch. When when we were, the Assyrians were converted to Christianity, you know, we had a, a, a head of the church. And the head of the church, as we lost long time ago our independence, Nineveh, after the, uh, the fall yeah, of Nineveh, right. six, 612 onward, uh, then when during, or at the beginning, when we were converted to the Christianity, the the head the leader yeah. yeah of the community had two different functions let's say or powers spiritual one and also the material one and they were fused in the figure of the patriarch yeah church and, and state basically exactly he, he, yeah. he but ran. this is this is this was the only way to survive mm -hmm. so but as far as the name is concerned, we can show today that the Assyrian name was never forgotten. Uh, there is now a kind of discussion upon whether uh, the Assyrian name was kept at that period. Of course, we know that Hadiab was, was a kingdom, but Asher also was at the same time a kingdom. And we have even chronicles where, uh, for example, the doctrine of Ad-Daimari, these this kingdoms are mentioned in a natural way. So I don't, what I do not understand now is this discussion whether the name has been invented when, when, the, when the Americans uh -huh. and the Anglicans were uh, yeah. in the northern Assyria, northern Mesopotamia. I think we don't know so much about our own history. But in order to know in a deep way how the historical development 
of our own history or the scene history is we have to base our knowledge our information on the sources we have right we go with what's there yeah and the sources are this they continue talking about the Assyrian continuity the name but let's say let's let's give a message to to our different uh, Assyrian brothers who call themselves Chaldeans Syriacs Armenians and so on the name shouldn't be a problem what for me is a big problem is to be so far from what we are looking for we are not fi fighting in the same way and for the same purpose mm -hmm. and the only issue which has divided us is in reality is only a name mm -hmm. question and this this division is uh, is not a recent topic it dates back even to the let's say sixth century mm -hmm. fifth cent uh, the end of fifth century uh, beginning of the sixth century we have told about uh, Marnar say was forced to fly from from uh, Edessa to Nisibi because there were problems in the community and the division started there afterwards Gradually, the division was becoming bigger and bigger, and at the end, in the 16th century, the so-called Ayatad Madinha group again divided mm -hmm. in 15, 1553. No? Yep. Again, now a name came again, uh, like the Chaldean Church and so on. But denying the historical facts, this is what, what is, in my opinion, the sad part of the whole process. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's inevitable for human beings to have division. No, but that, that makes part of the human being. That's okay. Exactly, yeah. But we should not try to change the history according to our own histories. I can't allow that. So you're, as an educator, um, as an academic, the pain point for you is if we're going to have these conversations, then we need to look at the true history, the true facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise, you are not going to know how the real reality has taken place, and it is. And we have enough sources to show uh, the continuity of this people, the Syrian people who were divided into different branches, Syriac Orthodox Church, Chaldean Church, mm -hmm. the Church of the East, and then uh, the Syriac Catholic Church, and then uh, the so-called Jacobites, Nestorians, yeah. and then Protestants, and so on. But this this makes part of the process of the, of an evolution. Sure. So I've always felt the same way that the diversity reveals a certain bit of health, a certain bit of healthy conversation. That people are actually thinking outside the box. They're challenging their own upbringing, their own system, which is awesome. Um, when especially when it leads to other fruitful avenues. But I think a pressing question that many folks would, would be interested in hearing about is Assyrian Church of the East is the ancient church, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when you read the historical texts and you understand the historical liturgy, and you think about the current state of these different churches, not just the Assyrian Church of the East, Chaldean Church, Jacobite, whatever it might be, do you sense that these are aligned with the ancient essence or would you say like hey it's a whole different world everything has changed 
each time a new thing happens you have always to take that starting point as a reference so let's go back now to the Eastern Church or the Church of the East now uh, the Church of the East belongs to, to the so-called apostolic churches we have uh, at least six apostolic church seats let's say uh, Jerusalem Antiochia Constantinople Rome in, in Egypt Alexandria and Seleucectesiphon okay this that last one is the hardest one to pronounce how do you say it Seleucectesiphon which was the capital of the Parthian uh, kingdom at that period so each part of this churches have or have their own way of transmitting their faith Christ is the same but the way the language the traditions mm -hmm. that are used are a bit different and that makes sense this the diversity should be understood as uh, a rich richness okay this is the first step so we have always to go back in order to understand our presence and we have also meanwhile you make this progress of understanding your historical evolution from the beginning until now you see that there were you know, the, the human condition it belongs to the human condition to to be separated to, to suffer divisions and so on even in the best families you discuss no yeah and that makes part and I see this kind of divisions in this uh, way and according to the spirit mm -hmm. but now it's time to to put the forces together now it's time to look for what we we are dreaming for becoming a people a territory a nation and so on if we, we are divided, the others who are our neighbors, now the Kurds and so on, are taking our lands. And we are discussing still about uh, whether we are Assyrians, Chaldeans, Arameans, and so on. Mm -hmm. This is the sad thing. What we should do is concentrate our efforts on how to keep alive the continuity of such a people who who has been suffering for centuries. Why? Why should we keep it alive? I mean, everybody has a dream. Uh, if you don't fight for, for a dream, at the end you will, you will vanish. No? And the human being has been always looking for continuity. And this continuity needs an identity. This identity needs a place, a language, a face, and so on. So, so you're saying, why not the Assyrian people to bring a new reality to the human ex existence by having their own nation and land? New reality? No, it's, it's just a reality. Don't call it new. It hasn't been created from zero. It's a, it's a reality. That it's still there. It has been there. It was there. And hopefully it will continue being there. The only thing is we haven't learned from the history is to some forces. Mm -hmm. We suffer under this, how do I say, complex of Semitic uh, identity.
But when, when I think about the ancient Assyrians, that was what made them great. Their ability to all come under the ideology of Ashur or Atur. Wasn't that like the first time in human history where it didn't matter what church you went to, it didn't matter who your gods were, what mattered is that you submitted to the ideology of the supreme god? In order, in order to, to explain myself, you should go back, far back. Let's start from the first step when a small community, a family, started growing, mm -hmm. you know, becoming stronger, and another one, another one has been also trying you know, to, to become big and so on. And now the forces started uh, measuring who is the strongest one, who is uh, the leader, and so on. This is the first we call, this, this phase, we call it the travel system. From the travel system, you you made another step to confederations because there was a strong group, and there were other small groups, and they knew that if they don't sum, they don't put uh, the forces together, they would just be losing the whole time. Right. From from the confederation uh, period, then we gain a, a let's say a monarchic small kingdoms. Every kingdom has its own territory language, identity, uh, gods, and so on. And from that part, the, the Assyrians were the first who, knew, who started creating a bigger and wider one. The imperial idea started by Sargon the, uh, the Wise, where he, he decided to protect, let's say, other small kingdoms, ensuring them continuity, security, but they were paying their tributes. So, and doing this, he also, each time you have a central power, the main god is of the central power. Mm -hmm. The cult is, you know, worship, the worshipping, it was the Shemish or Sin or uh, Asher and so on. But this is a process of historical evolution. But now... Coming back to the Christian era, there's a new, uh, let's say, era where a common God is worshipped by different people. Mm -hmm. And uh, a common God is understood in different ways. And these different ways, we are probably, mm, we are the, not the unique, but one of, of the few people who haven't been able to understand from the past in order to organize ourselves better in the 21st century. Makes perfect sense to me. And um, I'm so thankful that we've been able to have this conversation to learn more about the work you're doing at the University of Salamanca. And this is the kind of conversation I believe, as you've stated, like young people can dive deeper and, and bring an intelligent perspective, bring a, one that's based in historical reality. And so we thank you for all the work that you're doing. Now, one of the things I like to ask anybody who's on the Assyrian podcast is, if you, know, if you could say one thing to all the Assyrians all around the world that listen to the podcast, what would you say to them? Well, this, this word should be said in our own language. Habba, huyada, huyuta which means love, union, and harmony. 
if we have these three elements, we can become a strong and a big nation. Love, unity, and harmony. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And can you can you send us also something in Spanish? Todo lo que quieras, pero dime qué es lo que quieres que diga. Pues a los que entienden solo el español, que el pueblo asirio es un pueblo vivo, es un pueblo rico de historia, es un pueblo generoso, que ha dado mucho a la historia, y es un pueblo que puede sorprender por su riqueza cultural, histórica y lingüística. And I will translate that as soon as I get home. So, one other thing. If we want to get a hold of you, how can we find you? It's very easy. Uh, Ephraim Yildiz, University of Salamanca. As you, you said, I'm now the Vice President uh, for International Relations. And uh, the only uh, branch which is now a reference for Europe is the Hebrew and Aramaic Studies Department. So you are most welcome. Whoever wants to learn already in a deep way um, the ancient, late and modern Assyrian language, he will be most welcome. And I think this is a quite nice place. It's a wonderful city, a historical city as well. And the life of students is, is a huge one. Uh, Salamanca can't be understood without their students. And about 40,000 students we have, we do have wow. in Salamanca. It's huge. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. And hopefully we'll catch up with you in Spain next time. Taudilach. Thank you All right. for, for this wonderful interview. And I hope, I hope that it will be useful for our new generation. And probably somebody will be encouraged to start, as we have been doing a long time ago, to start studying uh, our language, literary, and history. We need Assyrian young people who must also get in touch in a deep way with their own, as I tell you, patrimony, heritage. Mm -hmm. And this is the treasure we have. <laughs>